0: Chapter 5 of The Golden Dream. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Golden Dream by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter 5. The Sea. Dangers of the Deep and Uncertainty of Human Affairs. A Disastrous Night and a Bright Morning. California at Last only those who have dwelt upon the ocean for many months together can comprehend the feelings of delight with which the long-imprisoned voyager draws near to his desired haven for six long months did the roving best do battle with the surging billows of the great deep during that time she steered towards the gulf of mexico carefully avoiding that huge reservoir of seaweed turned the sargasso sea in which the unscientific but enterprising mariners of old used to get becalmed oftentimes for days and weeks together she coasted down the eastern shores of south america fired at and showed her heels to a pirate doubled cape horn fought with the tempests that take special delight in reveling there, and finally, spreading her sails to the genial breezes of the Pacific Ocean, drew near to her voyage end. All this the good ship roving Best did with credit to herself and comfort to her crew, but a few weeks after she entered the Pacific she was met, contrary to all expectation, by the bitterest gale that had ever compelled her to scud under bare poles. It was a beautiful afternoon when the first symptoms of the coming storm were observed. Captain Bunting had just gone down below, and our hero was standing at the weather gangway, observing the sudden dart of a shoal of flying fish, which sprang out of the sea, whizzed through the air a few hundred feet, and fell with a splash into the water, in their frantic efforts to escape from their bitter enemy, the dolphin. While Ned gazed contemplatively at the spot where the winged fish had disappeared, the captain sprang on deck. We're going to catch it," he said hurriedly as he passed forward. "Tumble up there, tumble up! All hands to shorten sails. Hand down the royals and furl the t- gallant sails, Mister Williams, to the first mate, and look alive!" "Aye, aye, sir," was answered in that prompt tone of voice which indicates thorough discipline and unquestioning obedience. While the men scrambled up the fore hatch and sprang up the ratlines, hand over hand. A moment before, the vessel had lain quietly on the bosom of the unruffled deep, as if she were asleep. Now she was all uproar and apparent confusion. Sails slewed around, ropes rattled, and blocks creaked, while the sonorous voice of the first mate sounded commands like a trumpet from the quarter-deck. "'I see no indication of a storm,' remarked young Sinton, as the captain walked aft. "'Possibly not, Lab, but I do.' the barometer has fallen lower all of a sudden than i ever saw it fall before you may depend upon it we shall have to look out for squalls before long just cast your eyes on the horizon over the weather boughs there it's not much of a cloud and to say truth i would not have thought much of it had the glass remained steady but that faithful servant never better close reef the top sails sir said the mate touching his cap and pointing to the cloud just referred to "'Do so, Mr. Williams, and let the watch below remain on deck, and stand by to man the halyards.' In less than an hour the roving Bess was running at the rate of twelve knots, under close-reefed topsails, before a steady gale, which in half an hour later increased to a hurricane, compelling them to take in all sail and lay to. The sun set in a blaze of mingled black and lurid clouds, as if the heavens were on fire, The billows rose to their utmost height as the shrieking winds heaved them upwards, and then, cutting off their crests, hurled the spray along like driving clouds of snow, and dashed it against the laboring ship, as if impatient to engulf her in that ravening maw which has already swallowed up so many human victims. But the little vessel faced the tempest nobly and rose like a sea-mule on the white crest of each wave, while the steersman, for there were two lashed to the wheel, kept her to the wind. Suddenly the sheet of the fore trysail parted, the ship came up to the wind, and a billow at that moment broke over her, pouring tons of water on her deck, and carrying away the foremast, main topmasts, and the jib boom. Clear the wreck! Down the helm, and let her scud! shouted the captain, who stood by the mizzenmast, holding on to a belaying pin. But the captain's voice was drowned by the whistling winds, and seeing that the men were uncertain what to do, he seized one of the axes which were lashed to the foot of the mast, and began to cut away the ropes which dragged the wreck of the foremast under the lee of the ship. Williams, the mate, and the second mate followed his example, while Ned sprang to the wheel to see the orders to the steersmen obeyed. In half an hour all was clear, and the ship was scudding before the gale under bare poles. "'We've not seen the worst of it,' remarked the captain as he resumed his post on the quarter-deck "'and brushed the brine from his whiskers. "'I fear, too, that she has received some bad thumps from the wreck of the foremast. "'You better go below Sinton and put on a topcoat. "'It's no use getting wetter than you can help. "'I'm as wet as I can be, Captain. "'Besides, I can work better as I am if there's anything for me to do. "'Well, there ain't much. "'You'll have enough to do to keep yourself from being washed overboard.' how's her head larry Nah east and boy east replied one of the men at the wheel larry o'neill by name a genuine son of aaron whose jovial smile of rollicking good-humour was modified but by no means quenched by the serious circumstances in which he found himself placed his comrade william jones who stood on the larboard side of the wheel was a short thick-set stern seaman whose facial muscles were scarcely capable of breaking into a smile and certainly failed to betray any of the owner's thoughts or feelings excepting astonishment such passions as anger pity disgust fear and the like whatever place they might have in jones's breast had no visible index on his visage both men were sailor-like and powerful, but they were striking contrast to each other as they stood, the one sternly, the other smilingly, steering the roving best before that howling storm. "'Is not nor'east and by east our direct course for the harbor of San Francisco?' inquired Ned Sinton. "'It is,' replied the captain, "'as near as I can guess, but we've been blown about so much that I can't tell exactly. Moreover, it's my opinion we can't be far off the coast now.' And if this gale holds on, I'll have to bring two at the risk of being capsized. Them plaguey coral reefs, too, are always springing up in these seas where you least expect them. If we go bump against one as we are going now, it's all up with us. Not a pleasant idea, remarked Ned, somewhat gravely. Do these storms usually last long? Before the captain could reply, the first mate came up and whispered in his ear. Eh? How much do you say? he asked quickly. Five feet, sir.' She surged heavily once or twice in the foremast, and I think must have started a plank. "'Call all hands to work the pumps, and don't let the men know how much water there is in the hold. "'Come below, Ned. I want you.' "'Keep her head steady as she goes.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' sang out O'Neill as the captain descended the companion hatch to the cabin, followed by his young friend." The dim light in the swinging lamp flickered fitfully when the ship plunged into the troughs of the seas and rose again with a violent surge as each wave passed under her, while every plank and spar on board seemed to groan under the strain. Darkness now added to the terrors of the wild storm. Sitting down on a locker, Captain Bunting placed his elbows on the table and covering his face with his hands remained silent for several minutes while Ned sat down beside him but forbore to interrupt his thoughts boy he said at length looking up anxiously we've sprung a leak and a few minutes will show what our fate is to be five feet of water in the hold in so short a time implies a bad one five feet two sir said the mate looking in at the cabin door and the carpenter can't get at the leak i feared as much muttered the captain Keep the men hard at the pumps, Mr. Williams, and let me know how it stands again in ten minutes. Captain, said Ned, it does not become a landsman to suggest, perhaps, but I can't help reminding you that leaks of this kind have been stopped by putting a sail below the ship's bottom. I know it, boy, I know it, but we could never get a sail down in such a night. Can nothing be done, then? Yes, lad, it's hard to do it, but it must be done. "'Life is more precious than gold. "'We must heave the cargo overboard.' "'I have invested every farthing I have in the world in this venture,' "'continued Captain Bunting sadly, "'but there's no help for it. "'Now, you were at the shifting of the cargo "'when we opened the hatches during the calms "'off the Brazilian coast, "'and as you know the position of the bales and boxes, "'I want you to direct the men so as to get it hove out quickly. "'Luckily, being a general cargo, "'most of the bales are small and easily handled.' here comes the mate again. Well, Mr. Williams? Up another inch, sir. Go, Ned, over with it. I'll superintend above. So good-bye to our golden drains. There was a slight tone of bitterness in the captain's voice as he spoke, but it passed away quickly, and the next instant he was on deck, encouraging his men to throw the valuable cargo over the side bale after bale and box after box were tossed ruthlessly out upon the raging sea until little was left in the ship save the bulky and less valuable portion of the cargo. Then a cry arose that the leak was discovered. The carpenter had succeeded in partially stopping it with part of a sail, and soon the pumps began to reduce the quantity of water in the hold. At last the leak was gained and effectually stopped, and before daybreak the storm began to subside. While part of the crew, being relieved from the harassing work at the pumps, busied themselves in repairing damages, Ned went to his cabin to put on dry clothes and take a little rest, of which he stood much in need. Next day the bright sun rose in a cloudless sky, and a gentle breeze now wafted the roving Bess over the Pacific, whose bosom still heaved deeply from the effects of the recent storm. A sense of fervent thankfulness to God for deliverance filled the heart of our hero as he awoke and observed the warm sunbeams streaming in at the little window of his cabin. Suddenly he was roused from a deep reverie by the shout of, LAND HO! on deck. Words cannot convey an adequate idea of the effect of such a shout upon all on board. LAND HO! was repeated by everyone as he sprang in disabil up the hatchway. Where away!' inquired Captain Bunting. "'Right ahead, sir,' answered the lookout. "'Aye, there it is,' said the captain, as Ned, without coat or vest, rushed to his side and gazed eagerly over the bow. "'There it is, Ned. California at last. Yonder rise the golden mountains that have so suddenly become the world's magnet, and yonder, too, is the golden gate of the harbor of San Francisco. (laughs) Much good it'll do us.' "'Again there was a slight tone of bitterness in the captain's voice. "'Don't let down your spirits, captain,' said Ned in a cheering tone. "'There is still enough of the cargo left to enable us to make a start for the fields. "'Maybe we may make more money there than we would have made "'had we sold the cargo at a large profit by trafficking on the coast.' "'Captain Bunting hooked his thumbs into the armholes of his waistcoat and shook his head. "'It was evident that he had no faith in gold-digging meanwhile the crew had assembled on the forecastle and were looking out ahead with wistful and excited glances for the fame of the golden land to which they were approaching had spread far and wide and they longed to see the gold dust and nuggets with their own eyes it's a beautiful land entirely exclaimed larry o'neill with an irrepressible shout of enthusiasm which called forth a general cheer from the men "Arrah now remarked another patlander "'Don't you wish you was up to the knees and elbows in the golden sands already? "'Fie, I'd give a month's pay to have one day at the diggins. "'I don't believe a word about it. "'I don't,' remarked Jones, with the dogged air of a man who shouldn't, wouldn't, and didn't believe, "'and yet felt somehow that he couldn't help it. "'Neither do I,' said another. "'It's all a sham.' Come now, ain't it, Bill, he added, turning to a bronze veteran who had visited California two years before. A sham, exclaimed Bill. I tell you what it is, messmate, when you comes for to see the miners in San Francisco drinking champagne-like water and paying a dollar for a glass of six-water grog. you How much is a dollar, inquired a soft-looking youth, interrupting him. Bill said it was about four shillings, and turned away with a look of contempt at such a display of ignorance. Four shillings exclaimed the soft youth in amazement. Clear the anchor and clue up the main topsail, shouted the mate. In another moment the crew were scattered, some aloft to lay out on the topsail yard, some to the clue lines, and some to clear the anchor, which latter had not been disturbed since the roving best left the shores of old England. End of chapter 5